Welcome back to Voices of Troy, a podcast for the people of Troy, Michigan, featuring influential and interesting people from Troy and the greater Oakland County area. I'm Andrew Neal, Editor-in-Chief of the Troy Somerset Gazette newspaper, and today we'll be talking to the woman who had my job for 37 years before she retired, Cindy Komet. Cindy still writes for the paper, but for nearly four decades she was reporting, editing, designing, and distributing the Troy Gazette every week alongside founder and publisher Claire Weber. In our conversation, we talk about how she ended up in Troy, how she got her start at the Troy Gazette, and how she has seen the city change over the years. We also talk about the influence that social media has had on how people get their news and the importance of local journalism in 2020. That and much more, so let's get to it. Oh, I don't think I ever, I didn't even. uh, You never have, which is why I like you. All right. Today I'm joined with Cindy Komet, longtime editor of the Troy Somerset Gazette. Thank you for being on our new podcast. Not that you had much of a choice. <laughs> Welcome. Let's start at the very beginning. Where are you from and what got you to Troy, Michigan? Um, I'm a born and raised in the Cleveland area. My husband got transferred here in late 1976 with Parker Hannafin. And then we spent several months looking for a place to live. And my girlfriend there, who had been my roommate in college, saw a story in the newspaper in the, because the railroad people were transferring people to Detroit. And it said, everybody in Detroit is moving to Warren, and everyone in Warren is moving to Sterling Heights, and everyone in Sterling Heights is moving to Troy. And I said to my husband, maybe we should just move to Troy to start with. And so we did. And I know for sure when we signed the purchase thing was on St. Patrick's Day um, in 1977. It was a new house. We were, everybody was building in, in that yeah, there were 50 subdivisions to wander through. And we moved in in October of 77. And you got connected with the Troy Somerset Gazette soon after it launched in 1980, 1981. And so you were you came around within those first couple of years. So how did you get connected with well, the paper? That I stayed here at all. My husband died the next year in 78. Um, So I just was kind of a joiner anyhow, (laughs) you know. And my son loved Troy. And, um, you know, when you play soccer, he had lots of friends. He didn't want to go back to Cleveland. And um, so um, Henry Alleman, who was big-time volunteer in Troy, he was the treasurer of the Cub Scout pack at Troy Union Elementary, and I was the secretary. <laughs> and he wanted to restart. Troy Days had gone under financially. He wanted to restart it. He and Jim Serleski wanted to bring it back. And he just dragged me along. And so I did PR. And Claire started the paper the first year we started the fair backup festival now, mm-hmm. well, festival. And... Um, she came to our meetings 
and I just dragged her off to take pictures and <laughs> and I wrote stuff for her and I made her come over to my house one day and um, take pictures of kids making posters and we were sitting at my kitchen table and she says, you know, you pretty much send me the only stuff that's written in English. Maybe you could write a little something for me. And I said these famous words, you know, I get social security for myself and my kid. And I have investments and I don't know if I can put them at risk by earning too much money. I was just sucked in (laughs) and Troy was building and changing very rapidly and she desperately and she had to sell and deliver and write everything so she needed someone who actually could write in English and um, so I did it but um, I couldn't earn very much money and um, she bought me wonderful Christmas and birthday <laughs> presents for a couple of years because I could only earn, three, I remember $310 a month was all you were allowed to earn without putting your Social Security at risk. So you kind of said the magic words for her. She, it yeah, sounds so like I, she, she was kind of doing it all, and she so she really needed the all. help. She needed, desperately needed help. I know she said, too, because um, now we're jumping ahead here, just in September we published our our 40 year anniversary special edition of the newspaper and in it there's a story that's very similar to the one you're telling now and um claire weber the publisher and original owner who you're talking about um said that she just didn't know if if the paper would have survived if you hadn't come along so it really was serendipitous that she was doing everything on her own at that time and here you come along, someone with some time on their hands and not a very big bill either that you're gonna, not a paycheck that you're looking for, and just a you know maybe a desire to connect more with the community that you just moved to. I'm kind of a joiner, so um, while Henry was a Kiwanian, he took her to Kiwanis, but you know she wasn't you know now she's a by the way an optimist. Um, no, not an optimist, a Rotarian. Rotarian, yeah. Um, but he took me there, and he was a mentor, and I still talk to him several times a week, you mm. know. And um, the other person who was a Kiwanian who really was my mentor was a man named Ken Strobel, who um, was the head of Bell Mead in here and he was in charge of all those buildings going up in Northfield Hills and he knew everybody and he's the one who told me you have to go to planning commission and in those days people just went to here there they didn't sit in the room and stuff they were all in the basement smoking it was the early 1980s remember and so and but he knew everybody and he introduced me to everybody including Sam Frankel, you know, who owned Somerset and um, got to talk to all of them. And Alan Kerlick, you know, who owns Columbia and that. And they were all in the basement asking to build things. And so one of the places that I got to become really heavy-duty part of was Kmart PR and stuff. And uh, Kmart and Delphi. I was at 21 when Kmart introduced Martha Stewart 
to the company. And Claire said she left because I was there. And she said, oh, she's not going to know who that is. And I said, you know, I was sitting with all these women who headed New York magazines and, well, big magazines, Vogue and everything. And I went to myself, who the hell is Martha Stewart? It sounds like, I mean, you made so many connections throughout uh, your time writing for the Gazette. Um, like you said, people, big names come through this oh, area, yeah. especially in an area that was developing. So not just locally, but nationally as well. These these people were pretty well known. You were able to make connections with. And it seemed the timing seemed so perfect, too, because the newspaper was the news of the week. And, and there wasn't a whole lot of other um, outlets that were covering hyper-local news the way that the Gazette was from the Well, they weren't night. covering any business news either. Mm. And so there, we had the huge circulation. And actually, the other huge place is Beaumont. And and um, even my doctor will ask me about stories. Mm. You know, well, is this true? Do you know this person? Who is this? And, um, but... Barb Palazzola, who was the head of corporate communications at Kmart, was very good to us. But not everyone can make those kinds of connections, and I think it's a testament to a local newspaper being having its finger on the pulse of what's going on in that community, and you seem to have captured that over the years. And I don't know if you know this, I was just pulled up my calculator, but in the 40 years of the Gazette, and I don't believe we've missed a week of, of publication, maybe maybe in that changeover um, when Claire um, retired and, and we had one now, week. we missed one week um, with now with the new owner who bought it, uh, Mark Nicholson. But that's over 2,000 newspapers that you've been involved in. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I just wanted to throw that number out to you just as a testament, I think, as well to just how many newspapers you've created and helped make and how many words I can only imagine how many words that means you've written over the years but that also is testament to just the amount of knowledge you have of the Troy community and what's been going on from a town that was on the brink of development to now a town which a lot of people would say is almost overdeveloped and oversaturated you know I'd like to point out to people who say why are we letting these people build houses and condos and that. One, we're missing that middle condo thing. Uh, the town has gotten older. The The world has gotten older. They don't need a four-bedroom, five-bedroom colonial. Their kids are all gone. They need one bedroom for their grandchildren to stay over the weekend, one extra. Mm -hmm. um, but somebody bought that land. And the Barnard property is the perfect example I think they have five children, maybe six. They bought that land up at the corner of Long Lake, uh, Square Lake and Livernois. When they both died, they willed their house to the Troy Historical Society. Their children didn't want that land. They weren't developers. That That's not, you know, that's happened all over the city, that somebody bought the land in the 60s and said, well, we'll do something with this in a few years, and never did anything. Now their children and grandchildren are selling it. And developers have to build something on it because land that in the 60s probably went for 25000 an acre now costs, are you ready, 
450,000 an acre and up. So when they say we want to squeeze in a couple of extra townhouses or condos, you can understand why. You can't tell somebody who buys land with residential zoning on it suddenly, we're sorry, you can't build here. You have to give them some option. That's state law. I mean, that's not... I'm sure Troy would love to do that, to say, oh, no, you can't build here. But very unlikely that can happen under state law. So how does the... How do elected officials, how do they balance this law with this frustration from the residents they're hearing about oversaturation? And obviously, you've got to be empathetic a little bit to someone who's lived here for 40 years now having a giant condo that's about to be built and they're literally in their backyard. Well, first of all, if you had this huge empty space, you should have all gotten together and bought it for a park for your subdivision. Because if you're living next to five acres of empty land, you got to think, this belongs to somebody, and at some point, they're going to want to put something here. And they're lucky the only thing they want to put there is housing. Because if you live in one of the neighborhood nodes, I can put a five, it's going to change, because the planning commission has already submitted. But if I turn it in tomorrow plans, I can build a five-story apartment building next to you. Nobody looked up any of those things. Uh, homeowners associations were kind of, I guess, callous <laughs> in saying, oh, no one will ever build here. And then they go crazy. Now, some of them have, if you see them, the pictures of them, what they want to build, pretty attractive. This one going up on Rochester Road, just north of Long Lake, their drawings, they'll sell, they get their first one up and show it, they'll sell out in a minute. You know, they'll be, what do you call it? The guy who wants to build on Willow Grove, if, if, if the other guy actually buys the land, he did all the drawings and that, but he hasn't paid for the land yet. But they're really attractive. And there's a lot of old people in Troy now. It's aged considerably. On my street, the kids who live across the street from me bought that house from her parents, you know. Um, but there's like five of us in a row who've lived there since 1977. To, to see the condos come, is really, and they sell out. They sell out in no time. That's sort of what I was going to ask. Troy is one of the biggest cities in Oakland County, if not the biggest. We'll see it when the census comes through, but it's right up there. Why is Troy such an attractive place for people to live? I mean, Ethan Baker is from California, and he came to Michigan and said it's the best place to raise your kids. Is that why people come to Troy, well, and why do they stay? I would say, no, well, because our streets were clean from snow. On. And we don't have a high tax rate compared to other cities. Um, and maybe the, the schools as well? Oh, it's absolutely the schools. And which, why you see such a diverse diversity in our city. Because the doctor who came, the, the family that came where the doctor went to, he came and he went to U of M or something and he got married and he had two kids. And he looked around at where the best school system was so his kid could be a doctor. 
or an engineer. Take it. Those are the two biggies that Indian families want for their sons. And said, mm, I think we'll buy a house and try. Hmm. <laughs> Let's talk about um, what uh, the city is headed towards. I mean, we've talked a little bit about oversaturation. We've talked a little bit about those things. But in the next five, 10 years, I mean, what are you hearing from residents right now? And is are there any issues that can be solved in the near future? Or what are some of the sort of long-term uh, issues that you think the city should be addressing, but then the residents should be aware of? Well, the thing that concerns me is that people jump to judgment, you know, that this will ruin their life or that, um, I'll, I'll go to last week, to this week's Gazette, where um, Ed stepped down, Ed Pennington stepped down, because for months someone came and said, oh, he got special, he gave special treatment to Kishnick. You don't get to give special treatment to Kishnick when you fix a city car. You have to, you have to be the low bidder, mm. you know. And so people write terrible things in those neighborhood news and next door, which aren't true. And they do that about a lot of causes, and people should stop and think, is this really how it happened, you know? The same thing. Kishnick stole a ton of money from, from stuff, but he didn't steal it all from Troy. In fact, the money he got from Troy was actually FBI money. I mean, he stole from Troy because he double-dipped into petty cash kind of things. But the money that went totally against him was not paying his rent at Somerset Apartments, not taking it from the Troy taxpayer, you know. It just, you know, look into some of it. Well, I'm curious what kind of reputation you think that leaves for the city, and is, is there a culture of complicity within the city government? or is that just- No, I don't believe that. You just think that's something that maybe is a, a figment of the social media conversation yes. that's going on? Yes. And, and 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 I think some of it was political. They had candid, you know, when you want your candidate to win, you say bad things about the other people. Mm-hmm. You know, let's not kid ourselves that that doesn't happen in America. Mm-hmm. It does. And um, there's no way to stop those people from saying the th- those things, but before you believe some of it, you you know I think one of the things that happened to um, the Delisio brothers initially when they were approached to be bribed <laughs> um, was that they were a Macomb County company where bribery is the name of the game. The, they have sixteen people over there under indictment. The FBI found no fault with anyone on Troy City Council, period. There were no no recommendations to, you know, kick anyone off or anything. Saying, oh, well, we have to get back their trust. You, you probably didn't do anything that you can correct. Because if you didn't do anything wrong, and the FBI, and nor did Plant Moran really have anything to say bad about city council. Um, I'm kind of with those people, and so are some of my friends. Just let it go. You know, you're, you all can't serve here forever. We have term limits. 
you know, you'll be gone. People will go, oh yeah, I remember Sally. You know, she was she was good. Yeah, they're not going to find anything. There's nothing to find. If you can't trust that the FBI knows how to find corruption, <laughs> you know, what are you expecting them to find? Well, it sounds like what you're saying too is that a lot of the um, response is caused by social media chatter. And oh, that, absolutely. That kind of leads me to, you know, something I'd like to sort of conclude on here about um, how things have changed. You were, you know, a news, local newspaper editor in the 80s, 90s, and as things evolved with social media into this new millennium, how have you noticed the conversation changing around local politics and the response by elected officials because of that, you know, megaphoned conversation that is now available to anyone to participate in and put anything up on the internet. And and then what is the importance of a local newspaper like the Troy Somerset Gazette still being there to try and be a voice of fact and, and reason? And reason. <laughs> I, I would hope, um, you know, I see it up on Facebook. Read it, folks. We don't. We aren't trying to protect anyone or cover up. I mean, we didn't say, "Oh no, Kishnick's a good guy." I don't know. Do you think they want to believe bad stuff about people? I mean, it's not like you go on Troy City Council to get rich. We pay you one hundred and seventy-five bucks a month. You don't get anything extra. There's no health insurance. There's no retirement benefits. And I think that people have to take social media with a grain of salt. If you think every word on there is the truth, think again. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I read it and I go, what? You know. I think people, it's not necessarily that they enjoy, um, you know, it's the schadenfreude of enjoying, in you know, basking in people's misery and, uh, always highlighting the worst parts about people, but I do think there is an aspect on social media that um, you know group think sometimes can't help but get into the weeds of drama and gossip and some of that kind of stuff is what you see on social media and then it's unfiltered and distributed in a way in which it presents itself as fact or as you know um, at least valid, maybe more valid than it is just someone's opinion, which at the end of the day most of the time that is the case well. You know, the the things of rezoning at Alpine and McClure at Big Beaver in that zoning, most of those people will never notice. You know, uh, I know I followed the police for a long time. <laughs> and um, if you talk about people who are speeding on your street, you know, 90% of them live there kind of thing. If you're gonna if you're gonna cut through and you're gonna get backed up, you're not gonna keep cutting through. You're gonna find another way out. And we have way too many of those suits in court, and some of them we aren't gonna win. You know, I just said uh, there's a lawsuit, and I can't remember who owns the property. Anyhow, they bought the Magna. They bought land from where Magna used to be on on um, Wilshire. From another another company bought the Magna building. Magna's over on Big Beaver, but in a different spot. And then they sold the back part of it. 
with no access. They won't give the owner of the land access. I said, so don't sue the city of Troy. They should be suing the guy who sold them the land and that was landlocked. You know, why are we defending ourselves in court? But, you know, people who have $75 just like to sue. Mm. So it's, it's um, I think it's a very well-run city. I think um, a Frank Gersenecker, who was city manager for a long time, laid down some pretty significant rules, you know. And one of the things he didn't want and told everybody, and I know this to be true, um, was don't make friends with people who work for the city. Don't make friends. No, he told that to the council people. He said, everybody needs a favor now and then. So even Jeannie Stein, when she got a speeding ticket, <laughs> went to court and paid it. You know, she didn't ask anybody to write it off or, you know, not give it to her. Um, so he, he wouldn't let them take any meal that cost more than $15. They couldn't just go to Taste of Troy for free. If you want to go to someone's fundraising dinner and someone else buys you a ticket, go for it. You know, um, there's a couple people who would feed me all the time if I go to their dinners, you know. Um, so I think it's a pretty well-run city. And I know for sure, because I did it myself for 20 years and I checked to make sure you still have, you can't buy anything without getting quotes. You have to be the low bidder. I can't, when I bought stuff for Troy Days, and I, and we had this thing about, you know, Ed off the record just fixing the car. And what do you call it? Kurt runs a pretty tight ship at DPW. And I, so I called up and said, hey, listen. And I didn't call him, I called purchasing. Do you still have to get quotes for buying anything? And they go, oh, yeah, of course, you know. So, you know, to say that, oh, people are just getting free stuff and doing, that's just nonsense. We're still running a pretty tight ship here. Well, Cindy, thank you for being on our podcast and for all your hard work at the newspaper over the years. And we hope you were doing you proud here now with uh, – you know, our Troy Somerset Gazette still coming out every week around town, yeah. free for people to pick up, and, and we hope that people will remember to pick up the paper as well. We do too. <laughs> All right, thank you. Thanks again to Cindy Komet for being this week's guest. Next week, we'll be talking to Oakland County Commissioner Tom Kuhn. And thank you for listening to the Voices of Troy podcast. We hope you'll subscribe and support what we do here. And if you live in Troy, don't forget to pick up your free Troy Somerset Gazette newspaper on newsstands around town. That's all for now. I'm Andrew Neal. Thanks for listening and have a great week.